Exception monitoring services and log management services are two sides of a gradient. Exception monitoring services capture and aggregate the specific problems that occur on your application, like an exception triggering. Log management services aggregate all of your logs so that you can decide for yourself what constitutes a problem. This gradient is explored on today's show. We have Brian Rue from Rollbar, and he joins the show to talk about Rollbar's exception monitoring architecture and the competitive landscape of these technology products. Every software engineer wants to track the problems of an application, but some developers need more information than others, and that ends up changing how these error aggregation services are architected. This is an interesting conversation on the business of SaaS products for developers, as well as the architecture of a distributed system designed to monitor and aggregate errors. Before we get started, I want to thank all the people who have been tweeting and posting and telling their friends about Software Engineering Daily. The community is growing, and it's really meaningful to me that people are taking the time to help us out with that growth. Uh, Most of the growth comes from word of mouth, so it's super helpful. I also want to let you know about our Slack channel and our newsletter, both of which you can sign up for at softwareengineeringdaily.com. We have a newsletter called Software Weekly that a lot of people are signing up for. Brian Rue is the CEO of Rollbar, a full-stack error monitoring platform. Brian, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me. So let's start by talking about the product. What is Rollbar? So Rollbar is a service to track and understand exceptions in applications. So that can be anything from a uh, server-side app running Ruby or Java or .NET or PHP to a client-side thing running JavaScript to a mobile app running iOS or Android. The essential thing that Rollbar does is receive raw exceptions and errors, aggregate them to understand which ones are the same core root cause, and then present a dashboard and UI and notifications to help developers understand what those problems are. We've done a few recent shows about exception monitoring recently, and there are some different software technologies that are attacking the space in different ways. We did a show with Honey Badger as well as Bugsnag. Why does this space have so many different players? It's interesting. I mean, I think one of the causes of that is it's a problem that so many developers have. Essentially, anyone who's running software these days needs to be able to understand what is broken. Uh, you write code, and, and instead of just shipping it over the wall and hoping that, that it works, you both have the ability, and then because you have the ability, you kind of have the imperative to understand what's happening when that's in the wild. So it's a problem that for many years, developers kind of rolled their own. And then a handful of years ago, it seemed like everyone all at the same time was like, you know what, we should have a few <laughs> actually good services that do this. And then uh, there was kind of a renaissance of a handful of services, and then a couple are left. So. Okay. And what was the vision when you started it? Like, how are you going to differentiate from the other competitors that were in the space at the time? Yeah. So Rollbar got started out of, so like our story is my co-founder Corey and I had built a similar service in-house at our previous company. So uh, we had the problem of we have a very large application with a very large number of errors. We're changing it all the time. It has lots of bugs. It's hard to tell which errors are new ones, which ones are not new ones. So at that company, we built like a very, very basic error tracking service. After leaving that company, we kind of came back to that core usefulness and said, hey, like this thing that we built was really crappy, but what would that be like if it were actually a good product? So out of that frustration, that need, I built Rollbar. We later discovered that other people had the same idea. 
where Rollbar kind of differentiates itself versus the other players in the market is Rollbar is really the tool for power users. So it's not the prettiest tool in the market right now, but it is the most powerful. It does give developers the, the most both access to the data. We actually collect and store all the data. We give you a query language uh, that you can use to ask arbitrary questions about that, that data. But we're trying to both give you kind of the pretty good out-of-the-box, power user-friendly interface, as well as kind of some of the primitives to kind of roll your own air tracking on top of Rollbar. Okay, very cool. So we'll get into some of those features. I want to talk a little bit more about the market. I find these the topic of SaaS products built for engineers to be pretty interesting because there are some of them that seem to be more like winner-take-all markets. Like GitHub, for example, is exponentially more popular than Bitbucket. Like Bitbucket basically has to market to a very specific niche. Well, maybe not super specific, but certainly GitHub has one I don't know, probably 90% of the market or something. But my sense is that for exception monitoring, for whatever reason, maybe it's like the lack of network effects or something, the space is much more widespread and much more open to competition. What is it about the exception monitoring business that makes it that there's room for competitors? Or is there a, is there a broader conversation here about the type of SaaS products that are more winner-take-all SaaS products for developers and the ones that are not? Yeah, I think when you look at tools like GitHub, there's a much more obvious network effect, and it's really helped like help them gain the level of adoption that, that they have. I think no one in the exception monitoring space has quite yet figured out how to make those network effects that, that there are actually not that apparent. And that includes us. We're working on it. We've got some ideas that we're not sharing yet there. But I think at the moment, it's much more, you have different tools that, that appeal to different customers, whether it's maybe one works especially well with OS on platform, maybe one has a feature that you really like, Maybe one has a UI you like. So, Okay, cool. So some of the customers, like customers that use Rollbar, like Heroku, Instacart, Lyft, these are huge businesses. They have lots of sensitivity to getting their quality real-time error monitoring. I can also imagine they would want some lower-level granularity, like the query language that you mentioned. But a competitor like Bugsnag, for example, has customers like Square or GitHub, or Cisco, and these are also really, really big businesses. So is there like a different type of granularity that Square and GitHub and Cisco, that these businesses want, or is there something like specifically different that they want out of their error monitoring service than Rollbar? I can't speak to those customers in particular. I think a lot of customers who are coming into this space are kind of just discovering the category. And like mm. the first tool they find, they're like, this is amazing. Uh, this solves my problem so much better than I was using before. So there's a good number. It isn't so much that, th that they chose one over the other. It's that they chose error monitoring over log aggregation. And that, right. that's, that's really the story for 95, 99% of the market right now. Yeah, it does seem to be like there's this, and this is a question I wanted to ask you, like it does seem like there's this big gradient where it is log aggregation on one side, companies like Sumo Logic and Logly, and then on the other side you have, I don't know, really high level error monitoring, exception handling, maybe you could even categorize like PagerDuty or something in that space. So talking about the log aggregation services, for example, like we did a show with Christian Beedgen, who is the CTO of Sumo Logic. And they make software for cloud-based log aggregation and analysis. And Christian said, basically, they are trying to collect everything. And they want to offer a pretty like high granularity for whatever you want out of your logs, if you want to go back and look at anything in your logs. So you mentioned that, basically, Rollbar is somewhere in between that and the higher level end of exception monitoring. So what's the sweet spot that you're going for? How much 
log data are you trying to capture? I think it's not so much about looking at as a spectrum of like more or less. It's more looking at what are the sources. So something like a sumo logic is going to generally be looking at data that's generated by other applications. So our understanding of the sweet spot there is let's monitor all the logs coming from all the software running on all our machines. So that, that might be software that, that your own company's written. It might be software that is something open source or a vendor uh, product that, that you're running. And you just want to like ingest all those logs and get them in somewhere and do, do some analysis. When you look at things like PagerDuty on the other end, what you're doing there is you're saying, we want to record only these very specific events. So we're tracking when uh, servers aren't reachable or we're tracking when certain alerts are fired and we want to look at those in one place. For something like a roll bar, what we're doing is we're saying, cool, we're going to look primarily at your application that you are writing. So your development team, your code, things that you have the power to change and let you inspect what kinds of failures are coming from that code. So it's kind of a different paradigm, and each of those different use cases has kind of a different sweet spot as far as the tools that, that make sense. Okay, well, let's talk more about the usage of Rollbar. If I'm getting started, I'm a developer, how do I start using Rollbar? Yeah, so you sign up, you create a free account, you're going to install one of our libraries. So if that's JavaScript, that means dropping in a script tag. If that's uh, Ruby, it means adding a gem. If it's PHP, it means adding adding our library. So it's essentially, it's going to be add a few lines of code, add your access token, and you're good to go. The out-of-the-box configuration is, is generally going to give you instrumentation into any uncaught exceptions. So looking at errors that kind of like things that would show an end user an error page, that's going to send data to Rollbar. So Rollbar does billing based on events. What is classified as an event? So any error essentially sends a rollbar. So the reason we use the term events is because you can send both exceptions and messages to rollbar. So those can be exceptions that have stack traces, or they can just be messages saying, hey, this thing is down, or this thing couldn't be connected to, or this failure happened. Okay. So are people using rollbar just for like error-based events, or are they also using it for like the type of things that they use something like segment for, you know, like advertising analytics or something like that? We see everything. What it's intended for is looking at code and system level events. We do see some customers using it for things like this user just made a purchase, this thing did that. But like the more common non-exception events are things like a user logged in, there was a login failure, here's the parameters around that. We tried to connect to this API and it was down, that sort of thing. Okay, so let's start talking about Rollbar's infrastructure, Rollbar stack itself. So... Companies like Logly, Sumo Logic, we did that show about Sumo Logic recently, they want to store all the data. And I imagine that this creates different infrastructure demands than Rollbar, even though Rollbar does need to store a ton of data. But what is your general data storage model? Yeah, so our volume is certainly like it's not as high as something like SumoLogic. Uh, that is reasonably high. Currently, we receive on the order of 20 million events a day. And for each of those ones, it's roughly about 2K each compressed. So it's a good amount of data. Currently, we have our data store essentially divided into there's a, a raw cluster and a transaction cluster. The raw cluster is just a key value store. So each, each event with its data as a blob. And the transaction cluster has all of our summary. So things like rollups by both the most core thing, which is like, what item is this? So let's take this raw event. Let's determine what makes that kind of failure unique and group those together, as well as like by item, then what are our counts by minute, by hour, by day? What are uh, our lookups by which users it affected, which IP address we've seen on, what host we've seen on, all, all of those things. Mm. Okay. So this key value store, what are you using to build that? 
So today it is MySQL, tried and true, it works. So it's sharded, so we've got, I think we currently have four different uh, shard pairs. It's just a giant table with ID and blob. And uh, so far it's worked. The biggest pain there has just been maintenance of that. So as we add more shards, it requires more work than we like it to. We're looking at moving that to something a little more tailored to key value. And that, that's in the next 12 months kind of project. Mm, any ideas for what that might be? I mean, there's all kinds of database services that kind of offer yeah. kind of thing, Reoc or something yeah, like the, that. The current leading contender is Cassandra, but we will see. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So you use SoftLayer. And for those who don't know, what is SoftLayer? SoftLayer, they're sort of halfway between having your own colo, so uh, where you actually just like buy your own hardware and just pay for a rack and, and power to halfway between that and, and Amazon. So SoftLayer's model is uh, you rent hardware, they handle all the, the, the hardware pieces, and you handle all the software pieces. So, so it's bare metal, which is great. It's helped us kind of sidestep some scaling issues where we can just keep getting larger and larger hardware. And they're also still pretty easy to deal with, reasonably priced. We've had a, generally a good experience with them. Mm, okay. Can you explain more why you use SoftLayer instead of something like AWS? Yeah. So in particular, when we got started, and even still today, the cost to run the hardware that we're running on at SoftLayer would have been quite a bit higher at AWS. And like, Rollbar does receive a lot of data. So the cost piece actually is, is non-trivial. Uh, if it costs us 10 times as much to run it, it just wouldn't work. So that was kind of a, a key consideration when we started. Also, we wanted essentially just a little more control. Like we wanted to be able to have very large boxes. We wanted to be able to have certain kinds of hardware that at the time weren't available on Amazon. That landscape has changed a little bit since then. So it's something that we kind of like keep looking at every 12 months or so. And so far that math has worked out in the direction that we're in, but th that might change in the future. We'll see. Mm. Okay. And this mix of bare metal and cloud servers, does this also help with reliability? It's not a directly reliability thing. There are some benefits of bare metal. So one is... You don't have to worry about sharing hardware with someone, then you, then you don't have problems with someone else in your boxes using all the CPU to mine Bitcoin. <laughs> we do get a little more control around the network, so we're able to get better latency than at least we've been able to see in Amazon, which is helpful, especially when you're doing things like, let's do tons of calls between different systems, and going from one millisecond to 0.1 milliseconds makes a pretty big difference. So that's been a piece, so it's a little bit of reliability, more around performance. Is there any replication to the data that you store that you have this huge key value store that's in MySQL? Is it replicated? Yeah. So for each instance of the shard, we'll run a master and a slave. So, okay. So replication factor of two. Yeah. What happens if there's some sort of, you know, network partition and there's a inconsistency between the two data stores? I guess it's append only. So that probably helps. Yeah. So if there were a network partition that would be resolved whenever that comes back up. So the master is writing bin logs, and then whenever the network is restored, then the slave is going to get those bin logs. Okay. Are there any problems that could occur with just a replication factor of two, like where you would miss data? You would be in trouble. There are a few cases. It would require the master to die and the bin logs who have not been replicated to the slave before that happens. Ah. So however, we alleviate that because we also store a certain amount of these files kind of one level ahead. I think that's about it. So there, yeah, there's some, but pretty small uh, window for error there. How long do you store the data for? What's your garbage collection strategy? So it depends on the plans. So the plans we have listed are 30 days, 90 days, and, and 180 days. 
we do have a few custom plans. There's no kind of like built-in inherent, like, I mean, it's just data. So we can sort of <laughs> however long we want to. Right. So do you have some periodic job that's like looking through the key value store for stuff to garbage collect or has it yeah. worked? Yeah, exactly. So, so we have a process which we call the data retention check, which kind of runs through the whole store. And it's cool. Like, is this too old? Um, that actually, that, it doesn't work from the key value store. That works from one of the tables in the transaction cluster, which is basically is a listing of here are all of the events and like a few key things about them. So we'll go through that. We'll say, cool, like, let's find this thing. This is too old. Let's delete it. And that means deleting it from all the places it's referenced in the transaction cluster, as well as deleting it from the, the key value store. So why do you scan the transaction cluster instead of scanning the data itself? The main reason actually is that it's just easier. That cluster has a lot higher performance than the raw cluster. Okay. What do you use for that transactional store? So that is also MySQL, oh, and that actually okay. has been a pretty good application. Uh, we do a lot of SQL-style stuff. So there's a lot of aggregations, there's a lot of joins, a lot of complicated queries that we run. Hmm. It sounds like the type of application where you could use Kafka. Did you, have you guys considered Kafka? Or it's, maybe Kafka doesn't make sense for that. Kafka actually is going to be coming into infrastructure in probably the next few months as part of the queuing system. Kafka doesn't seem like it has a great application for our transaction needs. Okay, cool. So you mentioned this language, this roll bar query language. I can think of many reasons why I would want this. Can you give me an example of how a customer or how you have used roll bar query language? Yeah. So, so RQL is something that kind of built in, in a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago, or a year and a half ago. And it really, it solved a, a big problem that kind of both we were having and our customers were having, which was that certain kinds of questions just couldn't be answered without resorting to like pulling all your data down from the API and like running it all yourself. So what we essentially did is build a pretty basic, to start with at least, uh, SQL parser and engine. And then uh, we actually execute that SQL-like structure ourselves over our data center. So when you write it in RQL query, that talks to the raw cluster and, and the transaction cluster to get the data you want. So people use it for things like saying, hey, I have... I want to find all the events that were seen in the last day that have this parameter in this thing. So like where like request.params.foo equals bar, for example. Or I want to say, hey, I want to see all the different values for request.params.foo and the counts in the last day and order it by highest count first, that kind of thing. So this becomes both is useful for kind of pulling data out to so saying, hey, like I want to know all of the different, like here's a real example. For example, is I want to know all the different order IDs where exception happened. So, like there was a crash on the checkout page, I want to find what the, all those order IDs were so that we can uh, go back and fix them. Another use case, or yes, so it's like in the use case, you'll say, get me like select request dot order ID where timestamp is greater than the last day, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds very useful. So, is this also like would people also use this where they have like a standing query against the cluster where you know, once you hit a certain number of exceptions of a certain type, then you want to alert somebody? Yeah, so some people do that. A lot of that actually can be done through other features in Rollbar. So you can so you can, you can kind of create notification filters that are more directly tied to that. But we do notice some people, so we fairly recently opened up RQL via the API. So you can use our API to run those queries. And uh, we do see people, the people that are saying, hey, like every 30 minutes, let's run this query. Let's see the results of, of this one thing that I care about. Totally. Okay, so uptime is something that's really important for a business like Rollbar because people are using it to solve their their own downtime problems. What are some measures that you have taken to maintain higher reliability and uptime? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the first thing that I'll mention there is we try to be as transparent as possible with our actual uptime. So we have our status page, status.robo.com, that has a couple of our internal metrics around processing latency, and it also has kind of the latency as seen by Pingdom and uptime as seen by Pingdom. So we're trying to show that there. And we've done a reasonably good job. We've had a few issues in the past, maybe I think two or three weeks ago, where frankly, the API uptime was not great, and luckily we were able to solve those issues. So we've been looking a lot better since then. So architecturally, we, I mean, like we make sure to run multiple instances of everything. So we have at the back end, we have master and slaves. For the web tier, there are multiple servers. For the API tier, there are many servers. We actually run several different load balancers. We run load balancers actually in multiple data centers. So we have presence in, I think, six different data centers that are around the world. We generally try to take API uptime and performance very seriously. The last thing you want is for your, your monitoring service to go down when you're trying to have it tell you about your site maybe being down. So we know it's an extremely important part of our business and we try to take the appropriate level of care there. What's your monitoring strategy? Do you have a dedicated ops team or some kind of on-call rotation or what do you do exactly? Yeah, so we have an on-call rotation. Our own internal monitoring consists of, so we're using Sensu, which runs our checks. Uh, we have checks for just about everything. We're using uh, Statsy and Grafana for kind of trending. We use Rollbar for exceptions. <laughs> we use PagerDuty for alerting, and we also pipe those into Slack. We do an on-call rotation, which currently has four people in it. Our strategy there is we have each person do it for one week as primary, and then we get, it's one week secondary followed by one week on primary. The on-call person is expected to be able to triage and respond to alerts that whole time that, that they're on call. What else? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds fairly comprehensive. Like, what, what's the interaction pattern with, like, a customer? If a customer says, hey, there's, like, something wrong with my data, or, like, does that ever occur? Oh, uh, yeah, occasionally. There are, obviously, there are always problems. So that kind of interaction will either happen, that will happen through support. So usually that's a customer writing into support at Rollbar. We are generally pretty fast responding to, to those. You can also, if for some reason we're not responding there, you can mention us on Twitter. I will see it there too. And then, yeah, I mean, like if it's an issue that like is saying, hey, our, our data is wrong, then we take those very seriously and generally look into them right away. Yeah. So one thing that's interesting about, I mean, kind of moving up the stack, one thing that's interesting about these different exception monitoring services is that integration is pretty important. So you have monitoring integration for all the major languages and frameworks, as far as I've seen, WordPress, Erlang, iOS, Ruby on Rails. Are there any of these integrations that were particularly hard to get? So the most challenging languages to support have been the client-side ones. And that the reason there is is that client-side code is often shipped in a way that doesn't contain debug symbols. So for JavaScript, that means that the code is minified. And by default, the stack traces you get are error in method F on line 2, column 35,000. And you're like, what does that mean? I have no idea what code that is. So what we've done there is we've built in support for source maps. So we let you either tell us how to download them or upload them to us. We'll match those up to your source code and say, cool, actually, that line 2, column 35,000 is this file over here, line you know 10, a reasonable thing that you, you actually know what that source code is. Mm. So, so that's JavaScript. iOS and Android have similar things. So, so iOS has, uh, has DSIMs, a similar process there where the, the end user's binary doesn't, does not generally have those symbols, but you can upload them to us separately. And then Android has ProGuard, which is kind of the same thing as well. Interesting. So are there ever problems when maybe a bug occurs on a client application and the client isn't connected to the internet? 
So the event can't get pushed to Rollbar? Yeah. So Rollbar does need an internet connection to work. So the support for kind of offline retrying varies by library. We recently added that into Rollbar.js. iOS, I actually don't, don't off the top of my head what our handling is for that situation. I believe we'll retry in the next load. Interesting. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about the business aspects of this. So this is such an interesting problem because it's an interesting, how do you market the differences of this product to developers when the environment that we, like we discussed early on is, is so crowded? What are your strategies for marketing Rollbar to engineers? Yeah, so kind of going back to what I was saying before about like the general state of most of the market, we think our, our biggest challenge is educating about the category. So educating, hey, instead of relying on users to report errors, you actually can get useful notifications about new events, new errors first seen from Rollbar. So, hey, like taking people out of the world of getting an email for every single error, and those emails end up in some folder that, that you never look at. So our primary goal is is letting people know that this product exists, that this actually works pretty well, and this can really change the way that you develop. We haven't yet focused a whole lot of our marketing on differentiation versus competitors. That might change in the future, but currently we're mainly focused on kind of like the big greenfield piece. Mm. What are the, the biggest parts of the big greenfield that you're focused on right now? Frankly, it's just kind of getting the word out there. There are roughly 20 million developers in the world. Only, you know, maybe 100,000 of them know that error monitoring exists. So we're trying to change that. Very interesting. So coming back to these integrations, so we talked about the language level integrations. There's also like integrations on the on the level of SaaS products like Trello or Slack or, you know, Asana, whatever. What's the integration story for Rollbar with, with these different things? Yeah, so we've built first party integrations for quite a few. So out of the box, Rollbar will send you emails, but most people will also want or instead want to get those things in something like Slack or HipChat or Campfire or Flowdoc. So we have those integrations. People also will want to be able to say, hey, hey, this new item in Rollbar, this, this is a bug, we need to fix this. Let's get this into our Jira or Trello. So we have integrations for a lot of those. For ones we don't, we also have webhooks, so you can kind of roll your own. It's a bit more work, obviously, but you can get most of the same functionality uh, that way. But yeah, like we definitely want Rollbar to fit into whatever your, your workflow is. So if you're using Jira and Slack and PagerDuty, we want to talk to those things. What's the majority of the code base of Rollbar written in? So most of the code is in Python, which has been pretty good for us. And the API tier is in Node.js. Mm, okay, interesting. Why did you go with Python? We know it well. It's a general purpose language. It does pretty well for data processing applications. Most of the actual work is, is not in CPU, but it's in writing things to disk and moving things around. So we didn't find it critical to, to go something like, like C++ or Go. It's been a pretty good choice. It's, it, it's helped us to develop pretty quickly and build a pretty good product. Mm. So what are the biggest engineering problems that you're working on today? So infrastructure is always an, an ongoing challenge. So we ship Rollbar both cloud and on-premise. One of our challenges has been packaging that in a way that we can kind of stay sane and uh, maintain like just one set of things that's two sets. Hmm. So like making our, our on-prem uh, look as similar as possible to our, our actual production environment. And we're making progress there. It's getting a lot closer. Our, we're hoping to get the uh, Rollbar cloud to be running on the on-prem in the relative maybe like, let's say within the next year or so. So that's a big challenge. On the kind of like the, the core technology side, the core thing that Rollbar does is take in raw events and figure out which ones represent the same issue. So that's kind of an inherently hard problem. We have kind of like a reasonable first pass at it, but there's a lot of work that we'd love to do there. And we'll be spending some time on that this year.
who are these customers that want, I mean, not specifically, obviously, but who are the people, what are the kinds of people that want an on-prem version of Rollbar? Yeah, they tend to be customers or companies that have generally just high requirements around compliance. Um, so this could be customers in healthcare, it could be large enterprises, it could be financial companies. Those kinds of customers tend to not really want to deal with cloud still, especially given that the data in Rollbar can't often be anything. So like when you're reporting an exception, you're sending in not only the stack trace, which obviously is important, but also kind of all those parameters so that might be who's the end user, what was the request that might contain data that like you might not want to be outside your system. So for those customers, we offer that option. What kind of pricing do you do for them? Because if it's if the event based thing, you know, requires you coming through the database and clearing out the events over some epoch, what does the pricing look like for those people, for the on-premise people? Yeah, well, so to clarify, like the events pricing, that's per month. So like, like you don't have to come in and like delete events. But yeah, so for on-prem, we do the pricing basically per server that's running Rollbar. So if you have multiple data centers, you might want to run two Rollbars. If you have a very high volume, you, you might want to run a cluster. So okay. if you have small needs, just run one, you're good to go. Right, I see. Okay, interesting. So another thing that we talked about in the Sumo Logic episode was how one of the competitive differentiators of Sumo Logic was that as you scale, there are opportunities to do things that maybe give you good economics at scale. So maybe you're compressing in the right places or you're, I don't know, finding ways to save money. And that can give you a competitive differentiation over your competitors in terms of price. Are there any creative things that you've done recently to improve your infrastructure in terms of price, like in terms of savings on your end? Yeah, we haven't really focused on that much in the last couple of years. I kind of mentioned earlier, when we first got started, we made a decision to go a little bit more heavy-handed by running kind of like the software route as opposed to the AWS route. But we haven't spent a whole lot of time lately on, on optimizing those costs, though. Right. Okay. So I guess the it's almost like an investment, an early on investment that allows you to have more control. You don't get locked into AWS APIs. And so later on, if you say, okay, well, we want to implement some sort of lower level economy thing, we can do it easily. Yeah, that's the idea. I think to maybe to answer your question in terms of like, where are there opportunities? I think one clear one is around smart compression. So many events, while they often have many differences, they also have a lot of similarities. So we probably can do a lot better than just gzip. That's uh, obviously like gets extremely complicated when you start looking at it. We did play around with that maybe a couple of years ago and realized that it was going to be a lot more work than, than it initially looked like. So that's down the line. Have there been any things where using software, you've had to roll your own X, whereas if you were on AWS, you would have had access to some magical black box API that would have been really nice? Yeah. The one thing that comes to mind there is object storage. So uh, software actually... Yeah, software does have an object storage service, but we haven't had, that's probably one place where we've not had a good experience with them. So we decided not to use that. So we ended up kind of rolling our own uh, object storage. What happened? Uh, Just not good reliability and not good performance. I mean, many people that are using, or some applications of file storages don't have as high requirements for performance as, as we do. Our requirements are quite high, so we kind of end up rolling around. I mean, it's just it's a, it's a key value store, so we have a very similar. Actually, one of our shards, that key value store, is dedicated to object storage. Hmm, interesting. Do you have any interesting distributed systems problems that you've encountered recently? Well, so our whole processing pipeline is a pretty fairly complex distributed system. So 
there are a number of different steps there. So kind of the, like the beginning of the pipeline is uh, getting data from the API server into the key value store. From there, we're putting it onto a queue to process each event. And then there are a number of different pieces where it's like we want to process each event separately. And then we also want to aggregate those events together and process them as a group. So coordinating those things, both to make sure that we are not missing anything and also that we are as performant as possible is actually fairly difficult. So that's been a little bit of a challenge. How do you test that? So we do load tests. We basically, we'll say, cool, like we're sending in 100,000 of these events and we want to make sure that the counts we're getting back are the ones that we expect. Mm. Interesting. Do you have some, I don't know, any other finer points of strategy around testing? it? Like I find that the topic of testing distributed systems is always interesting because it's so, like you can't ever test everything, right? Because there's just so many right. failure cases. So like right. you, all you can ever do is asymptote towards like pretty good. I don't know. I'm curious if you if you had any like, decisions where you're like, okay, I think we're like 99% there and then let's just flick the switch. Like, how do you get to that point? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think like you, you can definitely, the first thing is make sure that you're tracking your errors <laughs> in something like Rollbar. But it's definitely like the more difficult thing is, I think, is validating correctness. So like, are the numbers that are coming out of the system, are they actually the correct numbers? And I think the way you do that is with, with load tests, with end-to-end -end tests, we'll primarily do that both through load tests and then kind of monitoring around those tests. So it's like, hey, if we, if we had a thousand things happen here, did we get a count of a thousand over there? And that can be something that you can do th through metrics as well. So like through something like Grafana or Sethi. So saying, hey, like we had, if we're saying we're going to process this event in five different places, make sure that the counts of how many events have gone through each of those different places are the same, right? Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, let's begin to close off. What's in the future for Rollbar? Yeah, so this year, I mean, we're actually growing our team. We have a lot of things we want to build. We have a lot of customers we want to reach. So we are working on kind of improvements across the products. So we've got some, we're doing some work on the front end on, on the UI. Our visual design has been a little bit stale. So we're looking forward to refreshing it and making it easier to use. On the feature side, we're doing a lot of work on grouping. So I'm making it easier to customize grouping, uh, making it easier to uh, teach Rollbar how your event should be grouped. We'll be doing some work on better integrations into source control. So that means things like assigning an error based on who last changed the code related to it or having owners around certain code areas. Lastly, kind of related to that is looking at how do we route notifications more accurately. So uh, one problem that, that some of our, our customers with larger teams run into is you might have 30 people that are on a project, but actually like only three of them care about a certain error. So <laughs> how do we figure out which people those are and make sure that we send a notification just to them? Wow. Okay. That's a lot of work. Interesting. So in terms of scaling team, has hiring been tough? I mean, I hear things about peak employment or peak, what is it? Peak engineering, comp, peak talent. <laughs> I think that's the term. Like it's just super hard to compete for hiring these days. We've actually had been fortunate to have a pretty good inbound pipeline, though. I mean, we're always looking for great people. Right now, our biggest challenge has been managing time that our own team devotes to hiring versus also time to get things mm -hmm. done. So that's been the biggest challenge for us right now. Right. Okay. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a really interesting conversation around Rollbar, and uh, I'll be watching you guys closely. Cool. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Later. Have a good one. You too.